The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. This is Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You can believe in the Savior. You can have 
regular attendance at religious meetings. You can give your tithes and offerings. You can agree with the incarnation of Christ. You can agree that the atoning sacrifice on Jesus was real. And yet you can be a dead man, a dead woman, because you've never truly been born from above. There's no great conviction of sin in your heart. You've never had the religious complacency of your life smashed. That's where we're at. That's where the American church is at. We must have the religious complacency of the American church broken, destroyed, shattered. There's a great gulf between Jesus and you if you have not truly dealt with your sin. The affairs of this life cannot possess our mind, our time, our energies, and expect to enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We must be born from above. Let's pray. Lord, as I come to this mic today, it's with fear and trembling. For I know, Lord, that the great issue that you have addressed in my own heart, and you have told me you must address in the Christians of America, is this issue of being religious, but never truly born from above. Some sentimental experiencing of a happy Jesus but never meeting you, the real Jesus. Lord, I pray today that you will break the complacency of every person listening to this broadcast, that you will release from the bondage and the servitude of the devil every person listening today and call them to that higher place Call them into your presence and give them that new birth. Or call them back out of their apostasy, out of their fornication and love of darkness. Lord, I stand by faith. I know it is a divine work of grace that you must do. Lord, please, please come today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today I want to share with you a story. Some of you complain when I do a story because you say, Pastor, we don't need stories, we need the scripture. No, sometimes we have to hear the testimony of another person who was utterly broken before God. We must understand that that brokenness must also come into our hearts and our lives. Oh, we're living in a time of great crisis in America, of rebellion and vile wickedness. I'm shocked by the 
the corruption in America. I am shocked to my core by the the child trafficking, the murder of babies. I can't be I can't be quiet about these things. The mob rule in so many aspects of America, the rich and the famous living their lives with such utter vile wickedness. I'm shocked by the way the devil has infiltrated the church. I know it's time. It's time to get ready because the judgments of God are being poured out on this nation. But I know the only answer that you can have is intimacy with the real Jesus of Scripture and not a make-believe, cotton-candy Jesus that's some emotional myth that's not even real. We've got to call a, a spade a spade. We've got to speak truth. So today I'm going to share a story with you. It happened the late 1800s. His name was Reese Howell. It's found in the book, The Intercessor by Norman Grubb. Reese Howell had been raised in a Christian family. He knew the doctrines, but he knew he was not born from above. This became very apparent to him after he moved from Wales to America in order to work to earn more money. He was after money and sightseeing, enjoying life. Suddenly he was struck down with typhoid fever. Often in those days, typhoid fever was fatal. My grandpa, a wonderful Christian man, died of typhoid fever. Soon, Reese House was face to face with death. In this bitter experience, he was alone in his lodging in a room, far from home, and this again was the finger of God, for he said later, I found fear in me for the first time, and when I faced leaving this world and entering an unknown realm, pangs took hold of me such as I'd never felt before. Thank God my parents were not there to take this fear from me. Thank God that human sympathy did not blind me to eternity, for you may live in a crowd, but you must face God and eternity alone. He cried out to the Lord not to allow him to die. The enjoyment he had in money-making and traveling and sightseeing was forgotten as he besought the Lord to give him eternal life. Give me one more chance, he cried, and I will give my life to you. There was a vow in that cry. The Lord saw to it that before he answered, and even as the cry went up, Reese knew in his heart that he was not to die. From that moment, he began to recover, and he was a changed man. As he faced losing all and entering an eternal darkness, 
He touched life for the first time. He finally was honest before God. I had seen the world as its very best, taking me down into a lost eternity. I knew that I owed my all to God who had delivered me. From that time on, he never regarded eternity lightly, for he had faced the reality of death and hell, separation from God forever. As he recovered, the gravity of his recent experience made him examine his position with renewed earnestness. He had been delivered from death, but not from the fear of death. Now, he'd always believed in the incarnation, the atonement, the resurrection. These were precious truths in his life, but they were not real to him. If Christ had conquered death, why was he still afraid of death? He found that he only had a historical Christ and not a personal Savior who could take him through to the other side. For five months, he searched daily for the way to God. He said he would gladly have spent every penny and gone from one end of the vast country to the other if he could only find a man to show him the way to eternal life. He did go to the only one he could think of. He took the hundred-mile journey back to Newcastle, Pennsylvania, to ask his cousin about it. His cousin knew the way for himself, but he was unable to explain the way to Reese. During those months, he made another move to Connellsville, Pennsylvania. Here at last, the chase was to end. It was here they heard about a converted Jew by the name of Maurice Rubin from Pittsburgh. He had come to the city for a series of meetings. The first night that he went to hear him, Reuben told the story of his conversion and how the Holy Spirit had revealed Calvary to him. I'd heard preaching on Calvary scores of times before and believed it, said Reese but I'd never seen Calvary before that night. He was brought back to the very same point which had struck him in his cousin's testimony. Maurice Rubin told how he belonged to a wealthy Jewish family. He had the best the world could give him. He had lived to make money. He was a manager of Solomon and Reuben, one of the largest stores of Pittsburgh, but the life of one of his buyers used to put him under deep conviction until one day he said to him, You must have been born happy. Yes, replied the buyer, in my second birth. I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and was born of God. In my first birth I was no happier than you. Reuben was so moved by this testimony that he went out and bought a New Testament. And there he was impressed with the fact that all those who followed Jesus were Jews, John the Baptist pointing to him as the Lamb of God, Peter, James, John, the disciples. And to a Jew, the Savior had said, On this rock I will build my church. Then he came to the story of the rich young ruler. It was a dramatic moment. 
a rich Jew of the 20th century and under conviction reading the Savior's dealing with a rich Jew of the first century. The way that Reuben saw it, it was if Jesus had told that young man to sell all to inherit eternal life. How could Reuben, how could he inherit the same gift unless he met the same conditions? It was his supreme test. If he became a disciple of Jesus, he knew that he would lose everything. But it was too late to go back. He had seen the truth, and he must follow. Reese knew that it was too late for him to go back, too. But Reuben faced it fairly and squarely and counted the cost. He knew that his wife might leave him. He knew that his brother would put him out of the business. But he'd made up his mind. If it meant he lost everything, he meant to do it. Then one day, on the way to the store, Reuben heard a voice repeating to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John fourteen six, The truth flashed upon him. He accepted Christ and entered into life that moment. He then told his brother and others, and according to his father's will, he was to forfeit every penny if he changed his religion. But his brother offered to give him 70,000 pounds, his share of the business, if he would cross the USA and retire in Montana. But Reuben replied, I have had the light in Pittsburgh. I'm going to witness to Jesus in Pittsburgh. Late that Saturday night, detectives came and took him to the police station. On Monday, two doctors visited his cell and asked him about the voice he had heard. Do they question my sanity, he thought? Two hours later, wardens came from the asylum and took him to a room where there were 29 mentally deranged people. The bitterness of his position overcame him. He had victory in the lockup, but this second seemed more than he could bear. He fell on his knees by his bed, and he began to pour out his heart to the Lord. He did not know how long he was there, but he seemed to lose himself, and a vision of Calvary appeared to him. He said he witnessed every stage of the crucifixion. He forgot his own sufferings and the sufferings of the Savior. And as he gazed on the cross, the Master himself said to him, And must I bear the cross alone, and all the world go free? From a broken heart, Reuben answered, No, no, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. From that hour... He was a new man. Instead of complaining at being in the asylum, he began to pray for the other 29. And to the Savior, he said, Let me suffer for you. Whatever you allow me to go through, I will never complain again. Two weeks later, Reuben's brother came to him and reproached him for the folly in getting himself into such a place. Why don't you be wise? 
he said. Get out of here and go to Montana. Does that offer still stand? Then it's not a medical condition, but something else that's keeping me here, said Reuben, with all the keenness of his logical mind. Some Christian friends he was in touch with caused inquirers to be set on foot. In six weeks, his release was procured. It became a court case. The test was on the voice. The judge called the doctor before him as a witness and asked why this man had been certified as insane. Because he heard a voice, said the doctor. Well, didn't the apostle Paul hear a voice, countered the judge who was a Christian man? This is a disgrace to the American flag, and he told Reuben to prosecute anyone who had anything to do with it. But Reuben answered, I shall never prosecute anyone, but I will do this one thing. I will pray for them. He crossed the court and held out his hand to his brother, but his brother turned his back on him. He went to his wife, but she turned her back on him. But what a victory he had in his own soul. Maurice rented a small room in Chicago where he lived alone with the Lord and he began to win many converts to Jesus, though for two years he hardly had a square meal. A year later, his wife came to hear him preach at a camp meeting and was converted. And for the first time, he saw his little baby boy who'd been born after his wife had left him. She was willing to make her home with him again if only he would earn a living as other Christians did. His heart went out to his little boy. This test was even greater than the first. Her request seemed so reasonable. But he knew that the Lord had called him from the world into this life of faith. He pleaded with the Lord, but the only reply he received was, Back to Egypt? It was enough, and once more Reuben embraced the cross. He went to see his wife and child off. It was a costly experience, but as the train steamed out of the station, it seemed that God poured the joy of heaven into his heart, into his soul. He literally danced on the platform. He did not see his wife for another three years. Then in another camp meeting, she too had a revelation of the cross. And as a result of this, she testified that Whereas before, as a believer, she'd not been willing to share the sacrificial life of her husband. If it would be for God's glory, she would now be willing to beg her bread from door to door. They were reunited, and she became a wonderful co-worker with him in his ministry. One thing that had hindered Reese House from coming through before was that while people said they were born again, he could not see their lives as being any different or any better than his or than any others who called themselves Christians. But he had said to the Lord, if I ever see a person who is living the Sermon on the Mount, I will give in. Before Reuben came to the end of his story, the Lord said very quietly to Reese. Is this your man? 
What followed in that little Methodist chapel, Reese Howells tells in his own words, as Maurice Rubin brought those sacred scenes before us, I too saw the cross. It seemed as if I spent ages at the Savior's feet. I wept and I wept. I felt as if he had died just for me. I lost myself. I'd been living in the fear of death, and I saw him taking death for me. My parents loved me very much, and up to that time, to me, there was, there was no people like them. But they never suffered death for me. He did. Jesus did. His love for me, as compared with theirs, was as high as the heavens above the earth. And he won my love. Every bit of it, he broke me. And everything in me went right out to him. Then he spoke to me and he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. May I come in to you? As I came into Reuben and took the place of wife and son and home, store and world, will you accept me? Yes, I replied. And he came in. And at that moment I changed. I was born into another world. I found myself in the kingdom of God, and the Creator became my Father. That night I received the gift of eternal life, that gift which money cannot buy. When I went home, my friend who had accompanied me to the meeting, he'd seen nothing in it. He seemed so rough to me. Everyone who was not born again seemed rough. The Savior became everything to me. He was not only the fairest among ten thousand, but the fairest among millions. That love of His had always been there, but before I couldn't see it. There was no response in my heart to Him. Everything of this world seemed so hard and so rough. But everything about Jesus was so holy and so pure and so beautiful. I changed altogether. None of my old friends could understand what had happened. I had no fellowship with natural things. It wasn't a point of doctrine I saw. It was Calvary. It wasn't giving a mental assent to a set of intellectual understandings. The veil was taken back and my eyes were opened and I saw Jesus. I saw this world as a cursed place and the thought came to me that I would never touch it again. The love of the Savior was revealed to me. You can't explain what a revelation is. I saw that the Savior and Father, that before I suffer, they would rather suffer for me. No natural love is in the same world as his love. He was not merely that Savior who helped me outside of him. No, he took my place. I saw every other love as so, so hard and so rough in comparison. Self was the motive of it. 
but I could see that love enduring through the countless ages of eternity. And when you receive the Savior, you receive the love of God. That love flooded my being. It's flooded my being ever since. I want to tell you, when you begin to experience that love, this is what I was trying to talk about yesterday with the overshadowing of your life by the Holy Spirit, by the love of God. When you know you're under that covering of love, of holiness, of righteousness, you know you're cared for. This doesn't come from propositions of truth. As important as those are, doctrine is very important. But doctrine cannot save you. Intellectual understandings cannot save you. You must meet Jesus. The complacency of your religion must be broken. There must be a coming out of this world. Now, you're going to hear from every hand. You're going to hear pastors and Christians. You're going to hear them saying, pray, pray for America. Pray for President Trump. Pray for our Congress. Pray, pray, pray. But you can't pray the way you need to pray until you've had this experience that I'm speaking of today. And I spoke of yesterday. There must be a coming out of the world, the flesh and the devil. There must be a revelation of the love of Jesus to your heart, the love that totally changes you. You must have a clear sense of the wickedness of your own heart. You must have your your religious life shattered. Your complacency, it must be shattered. There must be a, a coming and a weeping at the feet of Jesus. You're not going to get there by studying the scriptures, as important as that is. The scriptures are not what save you, brother. Jesus is the only one who can save you from hell. The scriptures can't save you. They'll tell you about Jesus. They'll speak the propositional truth to your life. They'll give you story after story of the glorious work of Jesus. But you must meet him as a person. You cannot force yourself to love others. But I tell you, when you come to Jesus, no one can be your enemy. You must be reconciled. A young man called me this morning, one of our listeners, and he said, Pastor, I'm so angry. I said, help me understand. Who are you angry? I'm angry at my father. I'm angry at the delays in my life. 
I'm angry that I haven't found a wife yet, and I'm I'm more than 30 years old. I need a wife. I need a family. I'm angry that I don't have these things in my life. I said, oh, my brother, I understand your anger. I understand you've been treated unjustly. I understand you want your life to move forward toward your goals. But you must meet Jesus. You must come and submit to him and lay your life down as a living sacrifice before him. And you must repent of your anger. And I read passage after passage out of the book of James to him. You pray, but you don't receive. Why? Because you pray with the wrong motive. You pray for your own, your own lust. I prayed with my brother. I prayed that God would bring to him the gift of repentance and that he would meet Jesus today. See, when you meet Jesus, your heart is filled with mercy and kindness and love toward others. Could the love of God in a person do harm to anyone? Reese says, I had left the world and its folly and been born into that kingdom where there is only the love of God. Reese always spoke of this as his spiritual birthday as the most outstanding day of his life. It was the day which brought his stay in America to a close. He never forgot that it was in the United States of America and through a Jewish man that he found the Savior Jesus and that he owed a debt to God's chosen people, which he was to repay in later years. But he felt that his first witness should be to his own people who had nurtured him in the things of God. The thought of returning home was crystallized for him within a few days by a very sharp temptation on the point of his previous weakness, the love of money. The manager of the the mine where he worked had a very high opinion of him, and he offered him a job, a promotion, where he would earn $12 a day, which was a very good wage for America in those days. but it would have meant a claim on his time. He told his friend that he was leaving as soon as he could because the manager is putting temptation before me. And I told the Lord, I will never live again for money. The new life was quickly pushing out the old. And as he said, he'd gone out to do sightseeing, but he'd seen the greatest sight in the world, he'd seen Calvary. Now, I, I want to call you to see Calvary. 
I called you today to get honest with God. To not pretend that religion can save you. If you're angry today, if you're bitter today, if you're afraid today, you need to meet Jesus in a whole new way. I want to read for you 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. I'll begin with verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you understand? When you're born from above, you no longer live for yourself. You live for Jesus, and you live for other people. From now on, Paul says, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. How? They regarded Christ as the one who would give them eternal life. They didn't understand. Paul is saying, look, we regarded Christ in a worldly way. We regarded him for what we could get out of him, not what we could give him. When you're born from above, you no longer are seeking what you can get from Jesus. You're seeking what you can give to him. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now let me be very straight. If you are a new creation in Jesus, you will have no interest in the Redskins or in any professional sport. You will have no interest in the clubs. You'll have no interest in the television or watching all of the internet. You'll have no interest in the things of the world, the flesh, or the devil. You will come out. You will be different. Your time will be consumed in caring for others and in caring for Jesus. He will capture your heart. He will transform you into his likeness. And all of this, verse 18, is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to the real Jesus of Scripture. 
not to the modern American Jesus of cotton candy. Not to the sentimental Jesus. Not to the Jesus you can get everything from. No, be reconciled to the real biblical Jesus. Be reconciled to God. Verse 17. Therefore come out from them and be separate. I'm calling you today to come out from the world and the the worldly church. Come out. Be separate. Touch no unclean thing. And the Lord says, I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. See, this is what it's about. I've shared with you today the story of of Reese Howells coming to know Jesus. It was from the book Reese Howells Intercessor by Norman Grubb. It's time to come out from the world. You will not survive what's coming in September and October and November. You will not survive. Your heart will grow bitter and angry. You will become vengeful. When things are taken from you, when you lose your security, when you see the hardships coming upon the world and upon America, you will not be able to stand if you've not been born from above. It's time to identify that which is unclean. It's time to identify that which is of the world. In tomorrow's broadcast, I will be very specific from the scriptures on what is of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I will speak in great detail about what those things are that will contaminate your soul and turn your heart to anger and bitterness and wickedness. We are not to be yoked together with unbelievers. Righteousness and wickedness have nothing in common. The fellowship... of light cannot fellowship with darkness. There is no harmony between Christ and the devil. As a believer, as a born-again believer, I have nothing in common with an unbeliever except the love of God that is pouring out of my heart that they so desperately need I no longer want the same things they want. 
My goal now is to please my Lord Jesus. The cry of my heart is that you would be saved. That the cynicism and the anger, the bitterness, the lust of your heart would be put away. That you would get on your face before Almighty God and ask him to utterly destroy in your heart everything that is of darkness. Ask him to name these things to you. Ask him to identify what you are reaching out and grabbing from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for it is from that source that all sin flows. Love comes from the tree of life. Love comes from the heart of Jesus. Now you know today, you may have said you were born from above, but you know if your heart is filled with the vile wickedness of this world, you know if you're lusting after the pornography or the fornication or if you're lusting after some item of darkness, if pride fills your heart, arrogance fills your spirit, jealousy is in you, you know these things. It's time to come. I'm just hearing that there is someone right now listening to this broadcast. You're under deep conviction. I want to pray for you. Lord, I know I have a brother or a sister right now who is under deep conviction. They know that what I've spoken today is the truth. They know in their innermost being that they are lost, that they know about you, but they don't know you. They know their heart is still ravaged by fear and anger, bitterness, the passions of lust. They know they're unclean before you, Jesus. Lord, I lift them up before you right now. I'm asking, Lord, that you would that you would bring them face to face with Calvary. That they would face the cross and see that you died on Calvary for them. That you love them. That the greatest desire of your heart is that they should give up their wickedness. That they should give up depending upon themselves. That they should cry aloud to you, Jesus, and that you will hear them and that you will minister to their brokenness. That you right now hear the cry of their heart. That right now you're willing to bring them into your presence. That, Lord, right now you're willing to heal them, mind, body, and soul. 
Lord, I ask right now that you would give them the courage to leave their sin, their complacency, their coldness of heart, their lukewarmness, that you would give them the courage to confess their sin before you right now. Lord, I ask that the complacency would be broken, that you would do a full work of conviction and breaking, that you would do a full work of revealing yourself, Jesus, to this brother and this sister, that a cry would arise from their hearts that says, I must have Jesus. Lord, would you come? Would you meet them right now? Lord, don't let them continue to escape your presence. Don't let them continue to be full of pride and self. Lord, bring it to an end now in the name of Jesus. Satan, I bind you. This precious one belongs to Jesus. Leave them alone in the name of Jesus, I command you. Lord, would you have your way now? Lord, would you cut now every cord that fastens my brother and my sister to the things of darkness? Would you break every bondage from their heart and from their life? Generational bondage? the bondage that they have created for themselves by making agreements with demonic spirits. Lord, I'm asking for a full sweep in their heart and in their life. Lord, I thank you. I stand by faith. You are doing it now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And amen. We stand on the promises of God. He has come. And he will meet you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of National Prayer Chapel, just a house church. We're not anybody. But if you know you need a place to worship with sincere believers who are earnestly seeking after Jesus, then I invite you to come. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll find information on where we meet, my phone number, call me. We meet from 10 until 12 every Sunday morning. 
and you're welcome to come if you're serious about Jesus. It's not entertainment. It's, it's hardcore. It's Jesus. Now, you can also help with this broadcast if you believe that it needs to be continued. July is covered, and now we're building the fund for August. And you can give by going to the nationalprayerchapel.com, going to the menu in the top of the page on the far right side, and you'll see there it says donate. Click on that, and it will open a page on tithe.ly where you can contribute. It immediately will come through to the National Prayer Chapel. Now, you also can write to me. I'd love to hear from you. I'll give you the address. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray. I love you. My dear brother, my dear sister, I love you. I'd love to meet you in person. I pray one day I can. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Christ.